Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our Superintendent Series, which is brought to you by our friends over at Toro. Among the countless reasons why we go to the course, communing with Mother Nature sits near the top of most lists. And the company most trusted to responsibly maintain our golf environments, Toro, continues to lead the way. Its line of all-electric and hybrid mowers and vehicles do their jobs as well as ever. Better, actually, because while their precision, power, reliability, and comfort remain the same, the new breed reduces engine exhaust emissions and noise pollution and increases efficiency and ease of maintenance. If only our golf swings were that productive and sustainable. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Today's episode is with Nick Nate. Nick is the superintendent at South Bend Country Club. Uh, he got his start working on Warren Golf Course uh, at the end of their construction. Nick is a golf nut. He does it really for the love of golf. He's a superintendent. And uh, it was really exciting to talk to him about turf and his career. So without further ado, here is Nick Nate. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So, are you, are you a big Notre Dame fan? Huge Notre Dame fan. Grew up here. Love it. Been going to football games my whole life. What's the take? Like, are you know, should they join a conference or? It's tough because they've joined the conference for for all the other sports except for football. And from a money side of things, it wouldn't be good for the university. And they like their anonymity so they can stay separate and do their own thing and have a better chance of getting into the playoffs. So I don't think they ever will for football, but they have for all the other other sports. It's uh so what uh any tips on like somebody I people make the pilgrimage to come to see a Notre Dame game all the time. What are the, what are what are a couple of local inside tips? You wanna get here early enough and actually walk around and see the tailgate and watch the team come walk walk from the basilica over to the university that's a cool cool little thing that they do and it's it's really neat to watch and good no getting over to the linebacker is is a must at some point what's the linebacker bar it's a bar that's right there off of campus that it's just a kind of a tradition but it's a great actual great place to go to um yeah you know one of your great tips was if you don't like football the best time to play golf in south bend is on saturday afternoons <laughs> very true <laughs> very true because it's a you can hear the game actually going on when you're at the golf course uh, on the at the warren golf course the burke golf course is closed at that time but uh every golf course in town is virtually wide open you could play anywhere here at that point mm-hmm. but especially warren when did you decide that you wanted to get into turf I was going to business school at uh, IU South Bend, and I was working at the Warren Golf Course. And what re- year would this be? It was two thousand. I was there nineteen ninety nine and two thousand. So that's like right after it opened. Yeah, 
Yep. It was, it was, it was during, while they were still doing some of the sodding. I started there and we were still doing some of the sodding at the golf course. We were getting truckloads a day. I real I just I just realized that I didn't want to do my business side of things and decided I was going to go to school at Rutgers and uh, my boss there at the time really helped me out doing that and uh, so you're in business school and then you just so you already had gone to undergrad right yeah I was already three years into business school three years into business yes. school and you just make an abrupt change you were in school you were in school for a long time I was and then I moved went out to Jersey and went to Rutgers for turf and decided that. Uh, that was my path and it just, it just, something triggered me. I love golf, always have, and grew up playing it with my, with my dad and just absolutely loved it. Where'd you grow up playing? Um, around here I played, uh, Morris Park and, uh, Brookwood Golf Course and my dad really played all over the place. Took me kind of everywhere in this area, Erskine, Elbel, here, South Bend Country Club, just all over the place. Mm-hmm. What was what was it like? You know, where people must have been really excited about Notre Dame getting a new course, and then you were part of it. And then, what was it like when it opened? Was it was it really busy with with locals and students alike, or how was how was that whole transition? It was very busy, very very busy. Right when it opened, um, it was a phenomenal golf course. Still is. They. Uh, they offered a lot of a lot of neat things for people to come play there around the area. So it was it was jam packed uh, for a good five ten years where everybody got to come play it, and uh, the the locals really really took to the fact of having Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw build a golf course in in this area. Yeah, it was early on, and there it, it probably was so much different than everything around too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It was basically like a celebrity coming to building a golf course in your area. You know, at that point he was still playing uh, pretty regularly, and so they uh, it was a, it was a bit really big deal in the area. It's you probably his celebrity definitely gave him more license to do different stuff. Yeah, and there was, it was it's not like any golf any golf course we have in the area. It's a it's a newer model of golf course, and it was one of their first, and just. Uh, it's it's held the test of time over the last 20 years it's been a great golf course that's the thing that i look at with it is like how well it's aged you know it's uh essentially effectively almost 20 getting close to 25 years old and it just seems like everything still works just perfect the way it was it worked the the first day it was built yeah they both they both when they built the golf course they really looked at it from a standpoint of maintenance issues and how the golf course can stay uh stay healthy in the way it way they built it from a maintenance standpoint because the maintenance practices haven't changed much and they still keep the golf course in pristine condition and they've only they've only changed a few things over there they added some bunkers and stuff for the for the senior open that they had a couple of years ago but golf course is it's great yeah what um do you do you have any moment do you was there a specific moment that you remember that made you say i i don't want to do you know go work in the business world i want to be a, a superintendent is there like a did you have a specific away uh, like moment that you remember back to or is it just kind of like a did it just build over the time that you were working at warren in 2001 I went and volunteered for the Buick Open up at Warwick Hills in Michigan. And that was my first real, besides some of the college tournaments that they held at Warren, I'd 
never been a part of a big tournament like that. And I realized that that point on, I wanted to be at golf course that was holding, holding tournament events. And so that's what propelled me to go to Rutgers and then, and then beyond from that to St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Talk about America going, working at St. Andrews. Once I realized I needed to do an internship in the summer, uh, I really, I wanted to go to the best place I could. And so I called Gordon Moyer, who was the head of the, uh, runs all the golf courses at St. Andrews leaks. He actually just retired last year and asked him how I could apply. And he said, you could come over here for an interview. And so my brother lived in London at the point that time. So I flew over and stayed with my brother for a week, went up to St. Andrews for a day and met with him. And from then on, I got the job and the following <laughs> two months later, I was there working. What did you work at all the courses or just or the old course just or the what, old course. just the old course? Yep. I mean, how many people apply for that that internship? I don't know. We had we had six other interns at the other golf courses, and I was the only one. Not that I was anything special, but they gave they were the original plan was for everybody to flip flop and get a chance on all the different courses, and for whatever reason, they just kept me on the old course, and I loved every minute of it. I got to learn how they how they they still do used a lot of the practices that they did back in the day with old Tom Morris. We top dressed by hand with a knapsack over our like we were carrying a backpack and we would throw it out a specific way. It was just it was a very neat experience for me. Was that your first time to Scotland? Yes. At, at that point? Yeah. For that interview. Yes. You went up for one day, came back. Went up for one day, came back. <laughs> and yes. then you're then you get that and you're there for two months? Oh, I I stayed there for eight months. Eight months. Yep. Okay. And that, so where, what did you start by doing? Like what year were you in, in turf school at that point? And what, how did your kind of like progression in, in, in the internship work? How did it work? That was my first year. That was after my first year in turf school and we needed to do an internship. And once I, I, I first started there, my first probably two weeks I was there, I did nothing but rake bunkers uh, <laughs> pretty much all day, every day. Cause the wind would blow and we would need to push up bunkers. And then they've slowly graduated me to doing course setup and mowing greens and mowing fairways and everything. And by the end of it, he was letting me supervise different things. It's like supervise the fairway crew and things like that. My, my direct boss was Eddie Adams and he works for the European tour now as an agronomist. And he was great for me. He's, he's helped me a lot in my career. Him and Gordon both have been really good and at that point, Gordon McKee, who's the superintendent of the old course now, he was the superintendent of the Strathtyrum course. And so I still know a lot of the guys that are over there and still talk to them now and again. So it was a great group of guys that really helped me on my career. What was your favorite uh, job of all of them? Was it the setup or the mowing the green? Like what, what do you think back to the most? Probably the walk mowing of the greens and the top dressing of the greens. Th those were two things because when you walk mowed the greens over there, which wasn't every day, we'd triplex them sometimes, but walk mowing the greens over there was a six hour job for six guys because the greens are so big. And when you're taking that long route going side to side, you're talking about a 150 yard, <laughs> 150 yard pass and conditioning over there was everything. I mean, you didn't have to do a lot of things that we do here in the States. And so the mowing lines being straight bunkers and uh, good edges was everything over there. That was, that was what kept the course in pristine condition. Did you think about ever just staying over there and not going back to America? <laughs> I, I really did. 
and I decided to come back. I've been back there a few times, but I've, yes, I, there were a couple points I regretted not staying over there and, uh, longer. When you go back now as a superintendent, like what are things that you look at that they do in, you know, the UK that you wish was more of a common practice here? Bunkers are hazards over there. Uh, and they treat them that way and they're not meant to be perfect. And I, you know, over here, we've gotten to the point where bunkers need to be just absolutely pristine on a day in day out basis. And they keep them a little bit more natural over there and it makes it a little bit tougher to get out of them. And I really like that. And everything is simple over there. It's there, you know, we only had nine, nine, well, 12, 12 crew members total on the old course. And over here, you're having crews of 15 to 20 on a on a normal golf course, and that's well, one of the nicest about, like, golf courses in the world. The old course is the like the crown jewel of you know maybe all of, of all of golf, but yep. like if you compare it to how many how many guys are on the crew at Pine Valley, probably 40, 50. Yeah, easily easily at least 35 or 40. Yeah, so so you got four times the amount of people almost. Yep, just to maintain it, it's interesting. <laughs> yep. A lot it, less inputs, right? A lot, lot less inputs. The only applications we put on the year I was there was we did a little bit of herbicide along the edge of the, uh, the smoke and burn and a few, a few, uh, other fertilizer inputs, but it was pretty much take what mother nature gives you over there. And of course, like it, it's a completely different setting. So comparing. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, def- definitely. That, com- that comes into play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what'd you do after St. Andrews and how, and how disappointing was the next, <laughs> next thing? <laughs> the next thing was disappointing. Just, le- just leaving there in general, because it was, you know, it was, it was such a simple time and you only worked 40 hours. And so every day after work, I would go play golf. And so going from that to coming over here, uh, moving to Chicago and going to Medina was, a huge change because then you're going to work in 80 plus hours a week and uh, doing everything from watering every day, fertilizing, spraying every day. And just, it's a different main maintenance practices all in general, mm-hmm. but it was good. I was at Medina from 2003 to 2008. And I, and I loved it. I had a good time there. I had a, had a great boss and Tom Lively who really uh, took care of us and furthered my career. Had a major. Yeah, we had the 2006 PJ Championship while I was there, and uh, it was a lot of fun hosting that, and a lot of other small events that we had that were that were great as well. What uh, what about tournament golf? Really, kind of lit your passion for being a superintendent. Just having that course in pristine condition for having the best players in the world come and play is just a puts it at another level, in my opinion. I just love it. I I love setting up a course for a tournament. And having those players come and play it, and being able to show show what you do off, mm-hmm. it means a lot to me. What what um? How do you kind of go about the process? Like if if you're six months out, what are you trying to do? And are there certain milestones that you're trying to hit as you go along? You just finished having a Symmetra event here at South Bend, yeah. So you you know this has got to be fresh in your mind. Yeah, about about six months months ago, we started working on uh, some of the bunker issues that we had and redoing those with a better billy bunker, and getting the mowing lines, sight lines, good for for the girls coming to play, and getting the greens where we where we want them from a firmness standpoint and moisture standpoint, and just uh, basically getting those projects done. We added a few teeing complexes for it. Just those those things, getting those issues resolved about six months out. But once you get to that 
three weeks out is when you start getting the course in just pristine condition, all the details, everything trimmed up, everything mowed properly. Uh, we dealt with a little rain this past week for the, for the Symmetra event. But other than that, we had everything where we wanted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big, a little bit of rain is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. We had, we had, uh, eight inches of rain this on, uh, during, during the week. So by, by Wednesday afternoon, when we had the pro-ams, it was, it was dicey to say the least, but we had a lot of water on the property. My crew absolutely killed it getting the, uh, with squeegees and pumps and getting everything off the course. Uh, we did, we, it, it worked out really well. We had the greens, uh, the greens were fine. The greens drained well here. So we had those good to go, but it was the fairways and some of the rough spots getting those in good shape, but it, it worked out really well. And by, by, by Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were good to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while you're at Medina, um, what, what type of stuff, uh, did you take away from that experience from like how different it was from St. Andrews to Medina? Like, you know, obviously that's a, it's a big chasm, but I both like, especially at that time, landmarks of, you know, American golf landmark of, of UK golf. It was more about the conditioning. So being at St. Andrews, I really learned everything was about pristine condition. And that's what, that's what the, we did there. There were, there wasn't a lot of other things to do. You didn't have to worry about hand watering every day. Um, it was the basics. It was top dressing. It was, uh, the, the mowing lines, straight mowing lines and everything like that. And I really took that to Medina that, that really has helped me in my career, just making sure detail work is done and we're all prepped up for the golf course. Mm-hmm. What, where were the places you were playing when you were, you said you played a lot of golf when you're at St. Andrews cause you're, you know, 40 hours a week. Yep. Where, where were you, uh, were you exploring all over the country or, or was it mostly centrally located around, around, uh, the old course? Mostly centrally located, but I, Kings Barnes is right down the road. I played there a lot. I played all, all six of the courses at St. Andrews. Now they have seven, but, mm-hmm. Uh, played the old course probably at least two times a week and <laughs> which is, I, f- I felt spoiled being able to do that. That was probably the worst part of coming back here, but, uh, Kings Barnes, Mirfield, Carnoustie, I would go all kind of, I would go all over, uh, but mo- mainly the St. Andrews courses and Kings Barnes were my favorites to play. Now that you go back as like a visitor more so, are there pockets or courses that you've kind of discovered that you wish you had played more when you're around? Yes, I wish I would have got to Golane and some of the other ones that I never really, never really made it to. And I plan on going back next year, and hopefully I'll get to uh, go to some of the other ones because there's still a lot of courses over there that I haven't hit. Berwick and some of those that are just great golf courses. How how does you you're obviously you you travel you play a lot of golf, um, and you you travel a fair amount to see places. Yep. How does that help you as a superintendent? you know, when you go see places, I think it's really important to go see other golf courses because you can see what other people are doing and pick things up anywhere I go. I've been able to pick things up that other people do, and it helps you maintain your own golf course and see what, what things you can add to make your golf course better. Cause you can always make it better. And I've, I've learned that at every place that I've gone to. Do you have any examples of things that you've brought back from somewhere else? Yeah, over the past past couple of years, I've played some really good golf courses, and uh, I would say, I would say the mowing lines and visual visuals, um, 
going to a place like Seminole that I went there a few years ago and just seeing some of the the visuals that you have going up to the holes and trying to bring those into your own course of how you see a hole and not so much that comparing anything that I have to Seminole, but just how you visualize a hole, making, making you realize how you can visualize certain holes at your golf course. It really impacts what we've done here from a member standpoint and how they've, how they view our course now on some of the holes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're at South Bend. It's a uh, 1916 George O'Neill design. Um, you've, you've been in the process of, you know, trying to take out some trees and start to restore some features that were here. Um, and obviously that probably Seminole would be an interesting because you know, there, that place doesn't have a lot of trees. The trees it has are very skinny and, yep. and unobtrusive to uh, sight lines. Yep. But, um, talk about the process of, of kind of starting to bring back some of the features that have been lost over the years here at, at South Bend. So over the years, there've been a lot of changes. The greens have gotten a lot smaller and wanting to bring those out to the way George O'Neill had it was, was one of, one of the first things I wanted to do here. Uh, we're in discussions about trying to do some of that and open that, open it out. He, we've lost probably about half our green size over the years there weren't a lot of trees when they built the golf course. And so that's been the other thing we've taken out 1200 trees in the last, uh, five or six years. And so we've there's we, still, there's for everybody that loves trees, there's still a million trees. There's out here. still, there's still a million trees out here. We could, we could keep going easily and, uh, we could get to 2000. You'd still see plenty of trees out here. So they, they were not short on planting trees out here. Uh, but beyond that, there's, beyond the greens expansion, some of the visuals that we've had at the lake, we've really expanded it where you can see the lake from a lot of points before. Uh, you and I were out on 15T earlier today, and uh, five years ago, you couldn't see the lake from 15T, and now you have a whole clear view of that whole of chain of lake out there. Mm -hmm. And out here where we're sitting now, you can see part of the lake, but we still have a decent amount to go to get get to that point. Yeah, so with this with this club, obviously you you're very well traveled. I think you've you've got members that are you have a, na a large national member contingent, but then you have members that have traveled, and members that haven't really. And in South Bend Country Club is like it's a very good course, and and you know a lot of members that haven't seen stuff. Do you is there some struggle with getting them on board with pushing towards you know something different than what they've played for a number of years? Yeah, there's always a struggle with getting everybody on the same page. It's never going to happen getting everybody on the same page. But as we've done things here, guys have realized that there's a purpose for it and what it's brought to the table. So there's been a lot of people who weren't happy with certain things that we've done, but they've realized the end point is is something that they that they would want. And so we're we're slowly making progress with that and I think we'll we'll eventually get there. Now for a quick word from our sponsor Toro. For more than a century with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. 
Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Now back to Nick Nate. What um you know in t- in terms of you know agronomically, what have been the biggest things that have happened with the with the tree removal that you've seen you know day to day? It's drastically helped our drainage issues and on some of the holes and helped really the shade issues for the most part on the greens. So we had a lot of green uh, greens that had trees way over into the canopy that most courses wouldn't even think about having. And so we had some challenging spots on the greens and we've removed most of the ones around the greens from an agronomic standpoint, but down on the low holes, we had a lot that was, uh, the roots were growing through drainage lines and everything from that standpoint. So we really opened that up, helped drain the low holes. We've added some, a lot of drainage over the last 10 years in this course to help uh, pump it off because most of our fairways on the low holes are actually below lake level. And so we have a lot of challenges there when uh, the seawall can sometimes come up over. Yeah, that, uh, that's that got to be the hardest thing. I, I used to work at a club that had flooding issues with a river. Um, and I, you know, you, you always sympathize with the superintendent the days that it came over. Um, you know, in terms of what has been like the outside of the tree removal, what have been some other things that you've done that have really worked well that help move water off off the golf course? We, we've added um, some new pumping pumping stations around the course to, to pump the water back into the uh, back into the lake. We've added about 20,000 square feet of uh, linear feet of drainage throughout the golf course. And a lot a lot of those are French drains, but most of it is hooked up to our drainage system. Uh, we have done a drainage master plan and we hope to start that to kind of finalize the getting the water off the golf course. We have a lot of places to take it, but sometimes we have uh, the issues where if we get too much rain, the lake comes up over. And so sometimes that stuff doesn't do us any good at that. Doesn't point. seem like that is an avoidable. That's not thing. not avoidable. You would you wouldn't be allowed to build a golf course. And I can be able to raise the golf course. <laughs> no, you wouldn't be able to build a golf course here nowadays with the wetland restrictions from Army Corps of Engineers and things like that. So it's it's what kind of makes it a special place. But they built this back in the day, and virtually half the course could be uh, deemed as a wetland mm-hmm. if it if it wasn't already grandfathered in as a golf course. So. It's it's kind of a unique property where we half the other pro- half the property is up high and half the property is down low, so it's very very challenging to maintain. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, you've got like you've got the up the up holes, which are in you know kind of like roll along a high ridge uh, with rolling hills, and it's sandy, and uh, and then you've got the lower holes that are down at below. In some cases, you're the lake level. And, you know, you've got two distinctly different, almost like nine holes split. How do you go about, like, how difficult is it to manage properties that two effectively two different properties within one? Yeah, there's a lot of times where we will be removing water off of the low holes with drainage pumps and while watering on the high holes. So it's, it, it makes it incredibly difficult. And we have a lot of different irrigation programs in our computer just specifically for that because uh we have basically high hole watering and low hole watering and uh it's very very different so it's very not very common that we are watering both uh both the holes at the same both low holes and high holes at the same time and the we top dress all of the fairways on the low holes 
just to try and make those plays play as the high holes do. Mm -hmm. Because the high holes are real bouncy, right? Real bouncy, very sandy property up there, uh, straight sand all the way down. And on the low holes, we have a very, very high clay content. And below that is, is straight sand actually from back in the day. So if you go to about uh, a foot or two down, then it's straight sand from then, then on. Really? So it's almost something where you, if you ever wanted to flip flop it, you could try and just flip off it, but it would be a monstrosity of a project. Is is the sand, uh, uh, is the lake a sand bottom? Lake? Yes. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it's, 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 it's a very unique property from that standpoint. Nobody would think South Bend sand site. Nope. But here and we are. Here we are. Yes. The, the it it the the fairways with all the top racing we've been doing over the years are are starting to match up with the high holes pretty pretty mm -hmm. good so where do you do you get the sand from just on site do you dig a hole or something or no do you, we we have a in? we have a top racing mix that that we that we matched up and uh that works well for those you're not like sand hills where they just no. go dig a hole and <laughs> no, pull the sand no it's out. not like that when we top dressed st andrews we took it from the beach you just say just went over went over and we would dig a hole right at the beach and load up, load up, and go. That makes your life a little bit easier, right? Yep. 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 <laughs> um, that's a, so. How do you go about kind of pushing things that you want to do through? Um, I don't. You guys don't have a an architect, uh, right of record like a, that. That's on retainer per se. Yep. You've got a committee. You've got yourself. How does how does decision making go through? What works well? What's you know maybe one challenge of of the setup you guys have here? I've had some really good boards over the years here that have that have really been good. I've had one green chairman uh, my entire time here, and he's been he's been very receptive to making changes to the golf course, um, Dr. Jim Granger, and he's been he's been really good for me from seeing seeing the visual of what we need in the future. The rest of the boards have, you know, they're always going to have their questions on what, what we should do and want to do. And there's always debates. Uh, we had a membership meeting this year where we discussed uh, removing more trees and what, what we need to do as a membership. But it, all in all, getting it approved has, has gone pretty well. The, the, the only hiccup we have right now is approving one of these master plans to really go for. We, we've had a master plan done and some other ideas that we've been kicking around, but everybody's under the same assumption that we really need to restore the golf course back to what George O'Neill did here, because it's a, it's a really great layout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell the bones, you know, just from like the greens and getting some of the corners back and, you know, obviously like one of the tough things that happens with all of these courses, you know, is over time, the golf course, the memories, memberships, or, or have get locked into what the course was at that time of, you know, the great shot, the great hole in one or the great round. I shot, you know, I was behind this tree and I hit an unbelievable hook shot. And those, those memories become like sentimental moments that, that lock in, like we need to keep this tree or we need to keep the hole the way it is because this is the way it always was. But, you know, in terms of your golf course, you look back, it's like, it's very clear where the great history was it was when it was hosting western opens in the 40s and and western ams and you know you you look at the you nta championships you've got 
you know, Frank Stranahan won here, one of the great amateurs of all time. Yep. Sandy Tatum won a, an individual national championship here. That's the golf course, and you've got a program with pictures. That's the golf course that probably was the best iteration of South Bend Country Club. But yep. getting there when you're so far away from it has got to be the big, big hurdle. It, it is. It, it, we have a long way to go to get it there. And yes, that was, that was the best time of this place. It was the, the golf course was amazing. It was one of the, it is, it, it's still one of the top ones in the area, but it, it can go so much further by get, taking it back to that design. And it's just the removing the trees is one of the first step and, and not necessarily all the trees, but the trees that are in play that are, that are blocking those visuals. And we really have some bunkers we need to add and some, some sight lines and some mowing lines that are around the greens uh, to bring it back because the size of the greens then uh, and the shape of the greens then where he had, he had a lot of fingers that came out up towards the tops and top sides. And they still, they still have the same slope that they have then, but the additions to those edges and the perimeters of them where they mow right into the bunkers where you mowed right into the bunkers that that's a special, special thing that we could do. Yeah, and you know when you go from the the small like the ovals, which I mean, this is a, a majority of golf courses have this. Uh, you know, you go from you've got very sloping greens and and small green green sections. Like you know, from your setup standpoint, you're very limited as to where you can put pins, and uh, the effective result is. You know, members play the almost the identical golf course every day. You know, a pin might be five yards up or five yards back, but you know, you get some of these corners back. The greens go back to even if you're seventy percent. All of a sudden, you add these new pins that might dictate you know different types of shots into greens that you need to hit or different thoughts um, because you get these these pins that loom over bunkers as opposed to you know kind of five yards away from them. Yep, you know the the stuff that it would bring into play on these green complexes would be so foreign for most of our members and they would love it once we got to that point because there's a lot of when you look at the old old pictures and the old aerials you can see how he funneled a lot of shots onto the green from those edges and they was all kind of sloped sloped in towards spots and so it would open up a lot of great pin positions around here and we are very limited at this standpoint where you are you're playing essentially the same golf course every day and by by adding some of those some of those green complexes the way they need to be it would it would really open up this golf course to just make it even more special than it is it's something that I find interesting just with in general with golfers as they become these creatures of habit and it's like they you you join a club or you play the same public course every day and you play the exact same tees every time you play and it doesn't make any sense to me like why don't you change things up one day play up here and back here and I think a lot of it has to do with the handicap system it like does. that's the thing that's ingrained it is like I have to play here in order to keep my score but you know I always dream of being some sort of position at at some golf course where I could set up having back tees in front of, you know, middle tees, some holes, because I want to see, you know, the players that play back tees usually play up and see yep. what they do. Um, I think that more variety is, is 
something that la- like you know you play somewhere every day but it would be like if you went to the same restaurant every day and ordered the exact same thing every time you went what what what's going on you yep. know you want some differences you got to have you got to have differences when you're playing the same golf course every day and you want to be able to you should be moving moving tees around tee complexes around and by doing what we would do with the greens it would make it so much better and you could mm-hmm. have so many options where you wouldn't feel like you're playing the same golf course every day and you just have all those options. And that's one of the reasons why I love going and playing different golf courses around the country and the world, just because you see all these different options that courses have. And if you can bring some of those to your, to your own golf course, it's, I've, it's made me a better superintendent. So I, I hate the favorite courses question and you know, you travel, you play a lot of golf, but I, I I'm more interested in your favorite places. So it could, it's not necessarily a favorite course, but let's just say like three favorite places uh, that you've visited, um, had a chance to play, but like not necessarily all just, hey, this golf course was the best, but just your favorite place. St. Andrews is by far, by, by far number one, just, just the whole living in the town and playing those golf courses all as one is just the experience is amazing. Uh Second, second is Cypress Point. Just out, out in Monterey is just great. The everything about it, from the golf to the special golf architecture that's out there to, to the views and just just in general that area. I'm convinced like the Cypress thing is like, you just can't have a bad day when you're out there. Nope, doesn't matter how you play or anything. It's just a it's just a special place. Every everything about it is so special. Just walking around there is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, a- after that, seminal to me is just th- everything about the experience there. The golf course is great. Everything about the experience there and just walking those grounds is amazing. Mm-hmm. The the proper the property, the clubhouse, it's just it's just a great place. You picked three places with a lot of history. Yes. And then uh, what are a few places that you are uh, kind of dying to see that you haven't gotten to yet? A couple of places I'm dying to see. Uh, boy, there's a lot. Um, really want to go to the country club. I'd really like to see see the country club out in Mass. Brookline. Yeah. Brookline. I just I feel like that's a really special place with a lot of history that I'd, that I'd, that I'd, that I'd like to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one that's uh that i've always always wanted to get to and just never been able to get there um is marion i feel like that's that's another special place both both out on the east coast those are two great golf courses and uh i think they have a lot of special history with them i love looking into the history and things that have happened at golf courses that's just that's that's neat to me mm-hmm. so last question is is notre dame going to make the playoff this year they're going to make the playoff this year I feel very confident. Are they going to, you know, put together a, a decent performance in the playoff though? Yes, I think I think they're I think they're learning as they're going. We've had some really had some really bad ones and I think they're I think they're learning what they need to do to get into that playoff. And they have a really good recruiting setup this year. So yes, I think they're going to be in the playoff and they will perform this week, this year as well. You know, a lot of people are calling for them to just be banned from it. <laughs> I I can see that from the outside looking in, I can see how nobody would want them in the playoff because they do they take a different road to get there, and there's a lot of people that want them want them in a conference just to solidify that. And you know if they were going to be 
in a conference. It would probably it would it would be the ACC because that's where they have their ties to. Should be in the Big Ten. They should be in the Big Ten based on location and 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 academic standards you know? <laughs> and academic standards as well. The uh, it would be. They don't want to. They don't want to run up against Ohio State. I got that's that that could be the fact. But you know, right now we have Clemson in ACC, and we're not playing them every year because it's a modified schedule. But you know, it's hard for them from a standpoint to not play Navy and to not play some of the Boston College and uh, Purdue, Michigan State. Some of those some of those rivalries, Michigan. It's hard for them not to play some of those rivalries. So they like the modified schedule where they play. Well, that's kind why of a, they got to join the Big Ten. They they don't lose those we're, games. We're adding them. Wisconsin this year, so we have Wisconsin a home and home. Uh, Soldier Field and Green and uh, Lambeau Field, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to play. Start playing them because uh, in Ohio State, I think we start playing them in 2028. So they're 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 trying to bring a tougher schedule in, trying to play some SEC SEC teams and some Big Ten and ACC. Kind Everybody of best might of, be in the SEC before you that's, know. It, that's, that's what that's it's that's what it's looking like. So I think they have a good chance of getting there this year, though, and they'll I think they'll perform this year. All right. Well, Nick, it's been a pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing what what the Irish do, and, and then seeing South Bend uh, age as it uh, as it enters its uh, next iteration of its life here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. As a quick reminder, I think we've got the best free newsletter in golf. Um, I'm obviously biased, but Will Knights does an incredible job. It's three days a week. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It, it, it will keep you abreast to all the latest news in golf with some humor and quick wit from Will, um, who's a very funny guy. So the way you can sign up, it's really easy. Just go to thefriedegg.com, and you're going to see a bar just below the, the lead story that says, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? Enter your email there, and you will be signed up, and you will get the newsletter three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So sign up for that newsletter, and thank you again for listening to the Friday Podcast. Thank you.